No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. So feel free to call in and be part of the conversation at 888-627-6008. Marilia. How yes. are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? It's nice to hear you, even though I've just seen you this week. Yeah, I know. We had lunch together. It was great. It at, was. At the Democratic Club. Yes. Uh, um, you know, I forgot to tell you, you know, they sometimes they give you a test when you, you walk in and they mm-hmm. forgot to give you a heads up. And if they ask you who the greatest president uh, in American history was you can't say like Ronald Reagan or somebody <laughs> you in. You have to say, you know, Franklin Roosevelt or John F. Kennedy or somebody. Uh, well, I'm glad but, they didn't ask me because yeah, I think I you failed. It's because you're I looking have more, you're looking more like a Democrat these days. <laughs> so they, they weren't suspect. Uh, well, I've always been a, a leading part. They're also preoccupied with trying to figure out whether you've been vaccinated or not you know yeah, that's right. <laughs> it made him forget <laughs> yeah i had to go back to my car and get my get my vaccination certificate anyway tonight we're supposed to have uh the reverend jesse jackson on the show and we will attempt to continue to hook up with him we couldn't get him we tried him uh earlier and we couldn't uh uh his cell phone wasn't answering uh, so we'll try them through the course of the show. And if we can't get them, we'll just have to reschedule it for, for another time. We apologize to our listening audience for anybody that's tuning in to listen to the Reverend Jackson. Um, we may have to, uh, we may have to reschedule him. Uh, you know, sometimes these things come up when you're doing live radio, somebody's in the middle of something or something came up that nobody expected or, you know, or they're stuck in a snowstorm on 95 and they can't, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. So we'll keep on trying. Uh, we'll keep on trying him and hopefully he'll come on at some point during the show. But um, go ahead, Morelia. No, I just said, indeed. I know there is snow in Pennsylvania right now. I know somebody who is, is battling his way through coming south and it's adding like two hours. Is that right? Yeah, That's where Mrs. Brown. Brown is right now. She's in. Uh, she's outside of Wilmington right now. In uh, in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pat's there. Uh, and so, uh, but she's not due to come home until tomorrow. So hopefully, she'll have clear weather. 
Yes, it should get better, I saw. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's gotten really crazy, you know. Uh, first of all, you, you know, here in Washington, right, we get two inches of snow and it's like a, a, a disaster. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why that is. I don't know why we've never learned to drive in the snow. I've heard some people say uh, it's because uh, the snow here is really slick. Uh, the warmer temperatures cause a kind of a layer of ice to, to come under the snow. So uh, it's really mm -hmm. slick. Mm -hmm. I, I yeah. think it's because none of us know how to drive. And, I and think too many people who are um, of all walks of life in terms of uh, national, international, and have perhaps not seen snow before, too, because Washington is such a cosmopolitan city. So many people don't probably have ever been exposed to driving in it. So perhaps that's part of it. Well, and, you know, it was never meant to have automobiles in it. You know, you've got these <laughs> wide, beautiful boulevards like Pennsylvania Avenue and Massachusetts Avenue. And then we have all these traffic circles. I don't know whose crazy idea that was. L'Enfant, I guess. Yeah, it was a Frenchman. Huh? It was the Frenchman. Yeah, it was the Frenchman. Exactly. As, <laughs> Mark, Twain, as Mark Twain would say, uh, Frenchmen are at the root of all evil. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but um, yeah, it it was designed by the same guys that designed Paris. So okay. you know, um, um, Charles Dickens came to Washington. A lot of people don't know this, but but Dickens was a newspaper columnist among other things, you know, and 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 he wrote a thing called uh, the City of Great Intentions, you know, that that he made fun of D.C because we had such wide boulevards and it was such a pretty city and nobody lived here at the time. You know, it was just like, like we built this city, you know, it, we built it under the, uh, if you build it, they will come uh, philosophy and they hadn't quite come yet. So, uh, you know, he made, he, he calls it city of great intentions and it really is a beautiful city and it was built to be, you know, to try to intimidate heads of state, you know, that, that it was made to be beautiful uh, in, in order to uh, try to give us a home court advantage when uh, in the days when when international politics was handled, you know, firsthand in, in Paris and London and right. Rome and D.C. But he did say that this was not the republic he came to see. Yes. He thought it was uh, literally a, a marsh. Yes. And, and a moral swamp, which, you know, back then, if he said that back then, imagine what he'd say now. Oh, my gosh. Such a moral swamp, you know. And yeah. it's, it, it's politics is such a um, it's such an honorable thing to do if you do it right, you know, yeah. if do it with understanding that you're responsible for the people to the people that elect you and not just responsible to yourself. Right. You know? Right. Jack Kemp used to say he was a he used to joke about being a public servant as opposed to a public serpent. Yeah. And 
I'm, you know, now you can say these people are more public serpents than servants because it is not in the classical definition of a public servant yeah. that I, when I was working in government. But um, it, it's funny because Dickens back then, when he went to visit Congress, he found lawmakers were partisan and uncivil, which is amazing if you compare that to what it is now. For him to have said that then. Well, and you know what? Politics has has really, I, I think that people don't understand this sometimes, but American politics has always been kind of dirty. Uh, you know, I think of Andrew Jackson, who, uh, you know, Andrew Jackson's a great story in that um, his wife died of a heart attack just mm-hmm. prior to him being installed as president. He mm-hmm. held press responsible for this because they called his wife an adulterer. His wife had been married to her cousin for one day. She had an arranged marriage to her cousin for one That's- day which they never consummated and uh, uh, she got and and it was annulled but yet his opposition used it against him and called her an adulterer and and she died of a heart attack and he held his he held the press responsible for that and actually he had a body barmaid for a niece I forget what her name was but he used to bring her to all the White House functions just because it annoyed the Washington elite. People like Dolly Madison, it drove him crazy that she that his official escort to White House functions would be this woman that served beer in a local, you know, in a local pub and was usually popping out of whatever clothing she was wearing. Right. Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, and you know things that were said about Thomas Jefferson, and I mean they said horrible things about each other, and they're still doing it. Um, exactly. And of course, the British Parliament—that's what you see. It's—it's it's, well, in the past, it was unlike it was here, but it, it's pretty good watching prime ministers' questions and and the debate on the floor because of the British Parliament because it is different from here. Here, you have this formality and. Will the gentleman this and the lady that, whatever? But, but I think it, it's it's deteriorating a little bit. But it's still not like that. But in, in England, uh, you know what? Since you brought it up, what do you think of all this stuff with the prime minister? What do you think of this uh, of of people calling on him to resign because he had a party? Do you think that's well, I mean, I feel like Trump had all these parties in the White House, and yes, we said the same sort of things, but nobody called him on to re- nobody called on him to resign. Uh, um, you know. Uh, well, I think there were bigger things for him to resign over. Number one. Well, that's but, you know much bigger things than that. But um, but I, by then he lying was pretty much the. Um, the currency of this White House, and it had was had it started to become normalized as it has been fully, I think now. But Boris Johnson lied about those parties, and I think that um, that was the 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 kernel in that um, whole debate was his lying about it, and and increasingly more and more 
things come out. And of course, they have the queen who is such a, a moral compass as a background to compare what he was doing against what she had been doing after the death of her husband. So I think that that gave it more of a contrast. Well, you know, that that's true. And, and um, we it's often been said here, too, about Watergate, that if if Nixon hadn't lied about it, that it might have been a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. It might have you know, turned out a whole different way. And and as I said to you the other day, I worked at the DNC right after that. And if you wanted to know the secrets of the DNC, all you had to do was go take the paper jam out of the Xerox machine. You know, we didn't have any security of any sort. You know, anybody could walk in. Uh, they're really it really was the height of paranoia with those people because uh, the DNC in those days was uh, much like the Boy Scouts. They meant well, but they weren't a particularly powerful organization. So, right. uh, you know, if he hadn't lied. But, you know, we're, we're still trying to get uh, uh, Reverend Jackson, if we can. But, you know, I want to ask him. One of the things that I found really unusual uh, in in scanning the news this week uh, is mm-hmm. that Joe Biden's approval rating for Uniting America is 24 percent. That's pretty dismal. Um, it is. And, you know, I don't know as a Democrat what we do about that. You know, it seems so hard, especially in light of this recent um, push, for example, on voting rights in the Senate, where it's gone strictly uh, along partisan lines Mm -hmm. uh, for us to to bring America together. It's a scary thought that we may not be able to do this. And I and I don't think that it's attributed to Biden. I think it is the zeitgeist right now. There is just no pleasing anybody. There is a very a divided citizenship. Um, people are not happy with each other. There was a poll that I read about today. I forget where where they asked Republicans and Democrats, young Republicans and young Democrats, would you date somebody of the opposite party? And the vast majority on both sides said no. So what does that say? Yeah. And and that's just, that's pathetic. So what does that say? And, And the thing I always think about whenever I see this, and it's something that I've always battled with myself when I started when I made my my entree, my when I journeyed into politics, um, sort of unintentionally, um, having come from the science world, and I think I remember telling you because you were getting your master's in political science, and I was going to go into my PhD program, and I would joke with you and say, "What? Well, where is the science in politics? There's no science in politics," and indeed, this is something that really. It it doesn't bother me so much. I struggle with it because I look at everything with a lens of science. And that is you have to have an experiment with a control and you have to control the different variables to come up with something that's statistically significant and statistically pure. And you don't get that in politics. So when you say or when, you know, when the polls say, I should say, not you say, 
that his approval rating right now in terms of bringing people together is 24 percent. I think of a thousand variables that have that you can play that up against that will point to it not having anything to do with President Biden. Well, you know, and and the, the, the fact that you use the word experiment, you know, I think a lot of people forget that that's what democracy was in the first place. You know, these guys, I mean, you know, when you look at the founding of the nation, mm-hmm. uh, I read a handful of books. They read, you know, Wealth of Nations and the Social Contract and Two Treatises of Government, you know, this handful of 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 books that that intellectuals had put out, and there was this very small cadre that came up with this idea that the power could come from the people. That was really, really kind of a radical idea, and it was an experiment. Yep. And it's one of the things that that really uh, has cost the District of Columbia, because when they decided to create the government, they weren't really sure how. Uh, ruled by the people would work. So they didn't give women a vote because they were property. They didn't give African-Americans a vote. They didn't give Native Americans a vote. And they didn't give the people of District Columbia a vote because they were worried about not being able to control things. Uh, You know, of course, thank God, all these other groups have been brought back in, but DC's still hanging out there. And, and, and I got to tell you, I've got an editorial that's going to appear online in the Washington Post next week um, oh, great. because I'm annoyed that everybody in America is talking about voting rights and we're not talking about the 700,000 disenfranchised people who live right here in the nation's capital. It's just crazy to me. That, it is. It, it's a bigger population than the state of Wyoming, which has two senators and a wonderful congresswoman, Lynn yeah. Cheney. Yeah. But it is. It's a bigger population than the state of Wyoming. How about that? A wonderful mm-hmm. Republican congresswoman. You know, there are a handful of them left. But it seems to me that when you were involved in politics, there, mm-hmm. were, there were many more. There oh, were many more. There oh, were my God. more Republicans that I respected. Even Republicans I didn't agree with. Bob Dole, Lowell Weicker. Um, uh, I mean, you know, I could go on and on. Uh, even people like Barry Goldwater, who who I don't know that I ever agree with anything that Barry Goldwater had to say. But you know what? He was saying the same thing on the la- his last day in office as he was on his first day in office. Mm-hmm. He, was, he had a set of beliefs and he stuck to them. Now these guys, it seems to me, do everything on the basis of a popularity poll. It, it is so true. And and just getting reelected, and I, I just don't get it. I, I really don't understand that. Even John Kasich said the other day, why? Why do you need to get reelected? Is it really because of the pension that you're going to get having served just one term? Is it really because of the health care that you're going to get forever just because you serve one term and you want more? And the power, I guess, the, uh, having more terms speaks to power. Absolutely. And it speaks to accumulating the, the, the power and, the, and the, the capital, no pun intended, to get more capital. Because, you know, it's, it is a revolving door in Washington. And I think that's what these people look for. But there, there has to be more to life than being in Congress. 
Well, and you know what? It, it just amazes me that it causes that that in turn causes things on both sides in terms of like uh, in Virginia, Virginia, they have a one term term limit for governor. Now, yeah, that's right. what does what sense does that make? You know, you're just learning the job after your first term. But, you know, but people believe, you know, if you get ensconced, uh, you, you know, that, that that's a problem. And, and you know, that uh, if you think about this in other terms, it really does seem crazy. Imagine going to a doctor after six, after four years and saying, well, you practiced for four years and. Now we think you should give somebody else a chance. Or, 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 exactly. you know, right? That is a great um, comparison. And yeah. and you're getting all your ducks in a row. You're you're not just learning. It's not just the learning curve, but but um, but getting everything together as a governor, even with four years, you're getting the coalitions. You're getting people support to to enact things or to change regulations or whatever. And it takes time. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's it needs reform. We need a new contract with America. Yeah, it's not funny. the contract. But yeah, we that, do. We need to something like that to galvanize people. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I don't know what uh, you know what that what that is exactly. Oh, wait a second, I got a call coming in. Maybe we're okay. here. Yes, hello. Yeah. Hello? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any any luck? Okay, thank you. Well, seems like we're not gonna have uh Reverend Jackson. Oh well that, what a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. Hopefully we'll be able to reschedule them. Again, I apologize to anybody that that's uh uh tuned in to hear him. We didn't get any notification that he wouldn't be on the show, so we assumed he would be here. But let me point out that he's 80 years old and that, uh, you know, things happen, especially when you're 80 years old. Uh, so we hope that everything's okay with him. And uh, uh, we hope that we can have him back. One, one thing that I really wanted to ask him is that in 1984, at the convention, he gave a keynote speak at the Democratic speech at the Democratic convention. He was under a lot of fire because he re he referred to New York as Jaime Town. He called Jews Jaimes, and of course the Jewish community was was apoplectic about it. You know, it was a horrible racial slur that he had used in haste, and he came out. and This is God's honest truth because I was on the floor of the convention when this happened. He came out and people booed him. Jews from all over. You can imagine how many Jewish people are in the Democratic Party and are at the Democratic Convention. Jews and, and, and other people, too, booed him for those remarks. By the end of his speech, those same people that booed him stood up and gave him a standing ovation for what he had said, for the apologies that he had made, for the for the forgiveness he had asked for. Uh, and that was one thing that I really wanted to ask them, him was 
the president's approval rating so low uh, for uniting the country. What are the words that we need to use to unite us? I, I, I they escape me. I, I, I try to find them, but um, I don't know what they are. I think that we need to focus on being Americans. That used to be something, didn't it? That you were an American, didn't it? I mean, didn't weren't there things you could say, really about other Americans that that you knew to be true? That we all love our country, we all love freedom, we all love, you know, there were certain values that we all shared. What's happening? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just gotten to the point where there are organizations out there that fight for this. There are programs out there. There are, in fact, um, two actors, Chris Evan and, and Mark Kasson, I think, who have an online sort of podcasty thing where they are trying to bring the two sides together. But people don't know this. It gets lost in, in the snowstorm of what's available online in terms of newspapers, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, um, and, and podcasts. But I don't, I don't think that's going to bring people together. I don't think that's going to be the the sort of, um, catalyst for a cross conversation. I don't know what will, but I think it will come in the form of a leader, a huge leader, that we need somebody who can galvanize people, who somebody who can set an example without the outcry of the opposite party, even before they begin. Does it, are you saying what I think you're saying, that there needs to be a Mike and Marilia for president and vice president <laughs> in 2024? Yeah, I, I, Actually, it would be more likely Marilia and Mike, but... Uh, no, I can't, because I wasn't born here. Oh, damn. All right, right. Well, I'll do it. All right. Then, yeah, right. <laughs> You'll have to take the sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you couldn't be vice president either, right? Because then if, exactly. if somebody bumps me off, which surely somebody That's... would, most likely <laughs> Mrs. Brown, uh, uh, yeah, then you have to be able to take that is kind of I wonder if that's something that will ever change you know I wonder about that too because at one point I imagine there will be a majority of people who have not been born here yeah and and you know especially people like you how old were you when you emigrated to the United States I was almost nine just yeah, about so you know so you've been here for almost 20 years now Exactly. You know, I always admire your arithmetic skills, Mike. Yeah, that's why I went into science. (laughs) I'm such a good counter, you know. (laughs) I've got to tell you, only because you brought this up, I hate to digress, but math was always my worst subject, you know, and and my my next door neighbor was a marine colonel who had a degree in mathematics when I was a kid had a degree in mathematics from someplace like MIT. Uh-huh. And, and he said to my parents, because my mother said, Michael's really bad at math. Now I'm like, 
I'm not even in middle school yet. I think I'm still in elementary school or just starting middle school. And Colonel Horseman says, that's okay because I can teach Michael math. I can teach math to every, anybody. And he tutored me for about a month and then he came to my mother and he said, I was wrong. I can't. <laughs> I can't teach math to everybody. It's, I, you know, I don't get it, you know, because I was a salesman uh, very early on in life, and I could calculate percentages and stuff in my head very quickly because they were all connected with commissions, right? I knew if I sold you something for $1,100, I knew exactly what my commission would be. So, uh, so simple math I was always good at, but I just never – Oh, yes. Okay, great. Reverend Jackson, thank you for being on the show. How are you, my brother? How are you? I'm good, and we so much appreciate it. And for our listeners out there, uh, this is a person that needs no introduction, um, a formidable civil rights leader, colleague of um, um, Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement in the South ever since he was in college, uh, ran for president twice, uh, I'm proud to say, um, Reverend Jackson, that I worked with Mal Warwick. I had a consulting firm, and I worked with uh, on your presidential campaign in 1984 with uh, good, good. Mal Warwick uh, from San Francisco. Uh, and, uh-huh. and I'm very proud of that. You, you did a you got 21 percent of the primary vote and 29 percent of the primary vote in 1988. We know that the great Shirley Chisholm is, is you know, very often uh, uh, spoken of as the first uh, nominee of a party for president, African-American nominee. But you certainly were the first really, really credible one. Uh, and, and we're happy to have you on the show. And, of course, you were the first United States senator for the district. Sure, sure, sure. Sure did a great job. She, 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 she broke the ice. Yes, she mm-hmm. was an amazing person. So, uh, Morelia, do you have a question for the for, for the Reverend? Hello, Reverend Jackson. It's such a, a pleasure to meet you on 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 How air. I'm fine, thank you, and Happy New Year to you. Um, God bless you. So, thank you. Uh, Mike was saying that you're impressive. 1984, um, third place in the primary, and in 1988, you ran again, got another impressive 29 percent behind Dukakis. So with that behind you and everything else you've accomplished, what is it that motivated you to run for shadow senator? Well, it's a dignity, really. I, um, D.C. is qualified to be a, a state. It has the, uh, enough people, enough economy, uh, and all this makes up a state. It has the state territory. I would have been infringed upon by Virginia and Maryland, but it is a state, the state should be represented directly. Indirectly, so I felt need to run for DC statehood since so it's make DC statehood a show on the ballot. Well, let me ask you, uh, Reverend. Uh, uh, though I've been told by many of people, many of the people that worked with you on that uh, in those days, that when you had the position, you were more of an activist than we are today. Oh, yeah. I know. You and Reverend Barber 
just got arrested in front of the Capitol uh, uh, protesting uh, uh, the Senate's inability to pass voting rights legislation. So um, why do you think there was more activism back then than there is now on this particular issue? Do you have any any feeling yeah, about Bertha, that? Bertha, I acted. I put my obligation to act, make visible the plight of D.C. citizens. More, more people than some states pay more taxes than about 10 of that time states. Most of them being on percentage-wise in almost any other state in the country. So we, we paid enough taxes, we worked enough, we bled enough and died enough. Deserve to be represented by ourselves in the state, in the state government, the federal, federal government. And and how important is activism? What, if, what does activism do for the movement? Does it provide it with energy? You know, I look towards the civil rights movement in the South and the things that you guys did, uh, you and, and Reverend King and the other people that were involved in the movement in the South. Uh, uh, what is it about activism that's important to us? You know, because what we do here, uh, uh, Reverend, is we go up and we try to explain to Congress why it's okay for us to be a state. And and I think they all know that it's okay for us to be a state. But but we're not very, you know, we don't, we don't you know, I've been arrested, but we don't do that much anymore. How how important is that? Well, I'm going to visit every senator. Uh, they gave an appointment, all hundred of them, and yeah. began to look at what was the agenda they had and what our needs were. And there was a crisis. You pull people together, tell them you must the short-term problem. Solution is X. If we're going to say this, Y and Z. Well, you know that I uh, I just mentioned this on the show just before you came on, but in 1984, I stood in San Francisco on the floor of the convention and I heard you give a speech. I heard you give a speech that when you first came out on the stage, there were people that booed you. And when you left, those same people stood and applauded for you. It was the mo- one of the most amazing speeches I've ever heard and one of the most amazing reactions I've ever seen. Now, with America so divided and President Biden with a 24% approval rating on bringing Americans together, what do you think we need to say? What are those things we need to say to bring uh, people I think, together? I think he, he, he's a better rating than that. For example, the, the, the pandemic, which is worldwide killing almost a million Americans and many people around the world, inherited that situation. Uh, the, the hostility of Trump and his people uh, willing to overthrow the government if they can. Second, second insurrection, one, the one kicked up civil war, and this one here. Mm-hmm. So no matter what he does, I've seen people who had toothache, chewing ice, and picking up dentist. It was Trump. It's stupid. It's absurd, you know. So mm-hmm. I think that he has done a good job. There are more people working. There's a better atmosphere in Washington today. Oh and yeah. I think he gave a little uh, too much too late. But I think that we have to make it a long time ourselves. We, we, if, we, if we set the climate, we have a friend who will help us. Do, uh, is he doing enough for black people? Are black people still part of the, the, the Biden coalition? Will they be there in 2022? I hope they will because the alternative is Trump. And that, that's unacceptable. Mm. Fascism. So we 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 he's better than that. 
I was supposed to do the Della Rama with Hewitt Humper. But the Johnson was, uh, and then they did, we ended up getting Nixon. So I thought, well, we shouldn't do the Della Rama. We should put sports out in the fighting for it, march for it. But don't, don't assume that anything is better than what we got. It's not. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. I got to go, buddy. Okay. Okay. Uh, Reverend, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your service to America. And let me tell you that I'm honored to be uh, a a a shadow. I'm I'm honored to be United States Senator uh, from the District of Columbia, following in your footsteps. I hope. Indeed. Let me say to all of you who listen tonight. I need you to join the Rainbow, make the Rainbow a strong organization. More direction, multicultural, RainbowPush.org, RainbowPush.org. Slip my membership, okay? Yeah, Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend. Well, it was, it was nice to get a few words in from the Reverend. Uh, obviously, he, he didn't feel like he could stay with us very long. Uh, you know, like I say, he's 80 years old, and we appreciate that he took time to to come and talk to us. So uh, that was really, really kind. Yeah. And so much you think, gosh, how do you stand on top of his accomplishments and still stand tall and strong with all that he's been through? Martin Luther King, we need, we can't forget that. Yeah. A long time ago and a lot of strife and a lot of fighting and a lot of stress. Yeah, and things have changed so much. You know, now that you bring that up, uh, I used to work, I used to do consulting work for a guy named Fritz Hollings. Oh, my God. Fritz was the youngest governor in the history of America. He was the governor of South Carolina. And and when I worked for him, he was a United States senator. Mm -hmm. But Jackson used to come to things, uh, uh, Jackson used to come to things, and uh, Fritz, uh, uh, Senator Hollings would be there, and he would remind people that even though that they they were colleagues and they were friends, when Jackson graduated from high school and Fritz was governor, mm-hmm. he kept Jackson from having his picture taken in front of the Capitol because African-American students weren't allowed to do that in those days. Can you imagine That's- that? That's yeah. just a pop smacking, isn't it? I mean, I can I can't see that from Hollings, even though he is, but certainly Thurmond. I mean, he was a Dixiecrat. Yeah, and right, and 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 it was, you know, they did it. Um, um, I don't know what it. Yeah, I don't. Uh, knowing Hollings, I, I agree with you. I don't think that was his heart. But right, you know, right. That's, that's what people thought. In, in you know, it's interesting if you study the evolution of the District of Columbia and how it became, how it became, uh, you know, came into existence and how it was governed. You'll see that after the Civil War, the Republicans made a really, really strong effort in Washington, D.C., to bring African-Americans to Washington, D.C., and to bestow rights on them. There's there's a book called uh, um, A Lesson for All the Land by Kate Mazur, which outlines the fact that 
that Republicans allowed uh, freed slaves to do all sorts of interesting things in Washington that they weren't really allowed to do other places. Uh, form yeah. social clubs, uh, you know, have certain jobs. Uh, in, in, I'm sorry, go ahead. Can I, I just interject? There are some incredible former residents of Georgetown who were doctors, bankers. In fact, there was a very famous slave and they have a house um, in Georgetown, which is exactly where his house was. He was like the first homeowner and he had a he was a banker. His name was uh, Yar Mahmoud, Yaro Mahmoud, and you can read all about him in the Georgetown Library. So you're absolutely right. They were allowed to do these things. And it just amazes me. There was another one um, in Georgetown who was an MD. He actually had an office on 27th Street and saw patients. And it's, it's just mind boggling to me because that was in, coexisting with slaves at that time. Well, you know, but what also came of that was the idea that they didn't believe they were allowed to have social clubs and 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 be professionals, but they didn't believe that white people and black people should be in the same social clubs. Right. Believed in segregation. And that really set the kind of informally set the stage for what was to take place for the next hundred years. That mm -hmm. that, you know, uh the separate but equal thing. Until, right. you know, that we kind of here in Washington, D.C., we kind of invented separate but equal. And it yeah. wasn't until the uh, Brown versus Board of Education, of course, that that was knocked down by the Supreme Court. And and by the way, we should just add that one of the plaintiffs in the case was a Washington was a, a girl that uh, was a student here in Washington, D.C. So. Mm. But. uh yeah, the, the the develop. If you study the history of Washington, you will find the history of America. It's, mm. uh, it, it's it's just it's very interesting how things developed here. Uh, and now we have a city that you know we're the most liberal. You know, it, it drives me nuts that we don't have voting representation, as you well mm. know. Yeah. But I mean, isn't because of what we do, Marilia, because of what you do and what I do and all the people in Washington, D.C., so many of us do. Isn't this like telling the people of Detroit they can't drive cars or saying to people in L.A. you can't go to the movies? You can make the movies, but you just can't go watch them. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just crazy, isn't it? Yes, indeed. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and, and you know, and we need everybody out there to stand up. It's been annoying me, and I got to tell you, the Democrats are right up there annoying me with the Republicans because the Democrats are treating us our disenfranchised status as if, uh, um, you know, it it doesn't, you know, it's some dirty little secret that they don't want to talk about when they're talking about voting rights. They talk about two voting rights bills that are before the United States Senate right now, the uh, Right to Vote Act and the, the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act. But there's also a third piece of legislation, which, like the other two pieces of legislation, have passed the United, House, uh, United States House of Representatives and are, is in the Senate with 47 co-sponsors, and that's the D.C. 
uh, Washington, D.C. Admission Act, which would make us a state and would enfranchise, as Reverend Jackson points out, uh, more people than 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 there are in but in two states, Wyoming and and uh, and uh, Vermont. And mm-hmm. and Jackson was the senator, as he pointed out. There were ten states that had the same population as DC. Mm-hmm. At, at one time, the population of DC was eight hundred fifty thousand. So it's gone down over the years. It's right. Been going back up uh, over years, but but at one point it was eight hundred and fifty thousand, and that's another thing that people don't, you know, one of the other little nuances of our uh, uh, involuntary servitude is that even when it comes from president, we don't have an equal vote because when we're eight hundred and fifty thousand, we should have four electoral votes, but we Mm -hmm. only got three based on population, but we only got three because the constitutional amendment, 23rd Amendment, which establishes our right to vote for president, as amazing as that is, we didn't have a right to vote for president, um, uh, says that we can have no more votes than that of the smallest state. So no matter, you know, even if we had a population of 10 million, we would still only have three electoral votes. So, you know, we got to stop this nonsense, man. We've got more veterans. We have 30,000 veterans who have served their country. And I don't know how we say to them that they can't have the same rights as somebody who lives in Maryland or Virginia who's never served. Um, I just don't know how we can do that in good conscience. I don't understand either. And there's there been there's been big push, not least of which has been by you. And for many years, and nothing gets done. It is, as they say, political. And yeah. somebody is gaining from this. Somebody in power is gaining from this, as you know. Yeah. And and that's the thing, you know. I mean, we say it all the time, but Frederick Douglass said it, that power concedes nothing without a demand. Never, mm. And it never will. And what we do is we don't demand. We send our two most compromised people up to Capitol Hill to lobby. We send the mayor and the chairman of the city council. Now, these are people that need to ask the federal government for $800 million a year. And they also understand that ultimately Congress has control of the city. So, you know, we live in their house, basically. So, you know... Mm -hmm ask you, how tough would you be with me if you lived in my house and I gave you $800 million a year? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, how to, you know, would you, you know, what would you say to me? Right. I, if you don't do this for me, I swear I'm going to let, I'm going to not let you give me any more money anymore. You know, I mean, what? right? We need somebody to make a demand. We don't. We go up there and we try to convince them that this is okay. We say, the Constitution doesn't say anything about taking our right to representation away. They know right. that. They all know that. We don't need right. to keep on telling it right. They know that. They they it's all about partisan politics. And Tom Davis, we had him on last week, and I asked him this. Yeah. Is, you know, he said to me one time, there's only two things you can do to a politician. You can either help him or you can hurt him. So we can't help anybody 
because we don't have a vote. We can't help. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. That That's why uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton is so amazing is because she has nothing to trade and she still gets things done. But, you know, mm -hmm. I can't vote. I can't vote for your, uh, you know, coal bill, Senator Manchin, if you vote for my statehood bill, because I got no vote. But, um, um, you know, we need to find a way to hurt them. We need to, West Virginia is really close, and we need to get 10,000 people to go over there and protest and say, Joe, remember you're a Democrat. You know, right? I mean, I just mind though. And, yeah. and what me is, you know, the, the Congress criticizes the way the district has been run, and and I have to say that I do agree with it, being the recipient of the lack of services or the poor services. Although it must be said, they have improved since the days of Marion Barry. You yeah. wouldn't you think that they would think, okay, if the, if they're allowed into the quote big league of Congress with, with the right, you know, with statehood, don't you think that it would probably be run better than the, the, the system that is running it now is the DC council. Well, which, you know, it, it's so funny that you so, so strange that you should say that Marilia, because uh, if you, uh, this just sounds absolutely crazy, but I believe it's true. If mm -hmm. you look at banana republics, Mm -hmm. Look at uh, uh, countries in the Caribbean which did not have control over their own destiny, countries that were run by outside governments. Mm -hmm. uh, you see corruption all over the place, and you see inefficiencies mm -hmm. all over the place. And not I don't think that's so much different than the District of Columbia. That's a very you know? good and not just the Caribbean, but Central America, South America. Yeah. And you yeah. see, you know, and it's one of the first things Tom Davis said last week on the show was about the corruption in, in D.C. And, and you know, uh, uh, Mary Berry was one of my favorite people in Washington politics. <laughs> I, I, he was so good to me. He was such a great guy. I mm -hmm. think him as a wonderful person. But you know what? Every time I drive down to Anacostia, I say to myself, this man was in power for 40 years. What yeah. did he do for the people that elected him? Right. You know? right. Uh, 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 since I've been elected, we've had Harry Thomas go to jail. Uh, he's now running. He's now running for an office in our delegation. We've had mm -hmm. Michael Brown go to jail. We had uh, uh, Jack, Evans. Either, of course. We, Michael A. Brown, right? Michael A. Brown. We had we had Jack Evans. We had Kwame Brown. We've had. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of corruption in DC government. There really is. And and you know and that and you're right. That is part of it because uh, you know we have so many talented people in mm -hmm. this town, but we focus on national politics, and you can't run for senate. In the in, in you know with a vote in the district or for Congress, and that makes a difference. We uh, um, when uh, when I was first elected, we mm -hmm. gave the keys uh, to the city to a guy who was an African American senator senator from Massachusetts named Ed Brooke. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Brooke was a Washingtonian. He came, he went to the Second World War, and he fought in a segregated unit. And he came back to Washington, and he wanted to get involved with politics. He wanted to make a change. And there was nothing to run for. There was no elected mayor. There was no elected school board. There were no elected offices of any sort. So he moved to Massachusetts, where he became a legend. He was a, he was a senator for, for many, many years and uh, several terms. And, and uh, um, we gave him the keys to the city because he was the one that uh, was our primary person in the Senate to get the um, D.C. Uh, Voting Rights Act, which would have given us two, two voting senators and a voting Congress. He got it through the Senate. And and it wasn't ratified by the state, so it never became law. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we've lost so many talented people like Ed Brooke. Uh, and um, yeah, I think a lot of the corruption and stuff that goes on in Washington is because we all focus on national politics. We don't focus on what's happening here. I think that's right. Well, my dear. We have come to uh, the end of another show. I'm glad that we were able to get uh, the Reverend on for uh, mm-hmm. some time. And, uh, you know, we hope that we'll have an amazing guest again for you next week. I hope you have some fun things coming up in the week to a week ahead. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to try to uh, get another person on the show next week that uh will uh be an interesting guest and 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 we'll we'll move forward i appreciate you being on the show every week you know that we try to send a song out uh at the end of the show we dedicate it to the people that have been on the show and today's song is from sly and the family stone it goes out to the reverend and everybody in the rainbow coalition uh here's everyday people uh we'll see you next week thank you mike you're amazing you bring such depth to this show oh come on you do it's incredible to say things like that see you see you